0: Of better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. This is Gratitude Week. So we're going back and saying thank you to some of the best episodes with the best thinkers in all of dentistry. And today... We take a look or go back and re-listen to one of my favorite episodes of all time with Dr. Mark Murphy. Now, Murph has been a great friend and mentor of mine. He helped me early in my journey through the Panky Institute. And today he talks about dental insurance independence. It's a relevant topic and he's an awesome person to get some great thinking from. So make sure you guys listen to this episode. I know you'll enjoy it. We'll see you soon hey guys welcome back to the best practices show i'm kirk barrett and i'm so grateful that you're on i'm super grateful i got my good buddy and uh amazing human being and these guys brilliant dr mark murphy one of my favorite instructors of all time wildly entertaining super brilliant it's super good looking. That's the problem with this guy. For God's so. sake, who the hell wouldn't love that
1: introduction? Would you introduce yeah. me again just so I can hear that? I'll do it time? again.
0: And then have your wife have your wife watch it again and again and again and again. All right. <laughs> Thank you, brother, for being on. I really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Anytime time for you. All right, dude. So, hey, if you're watching this, we're shooting this live through Facebook right now. So you'll see the comments and the feed. And so if you're watching this live, feel free to ask any questions. And I'll ask the man himself as we're going through this because we've got a super hot topic today. Also, if you're watching this later on, add a question, and I'm going to ask Dr. Murphy just to to Happy follow trip. up on the feed because uh, it uh, it's it's only going to get interesting. Now, you know, you and I have known each other for a very long time, right? Yeah. Okay. We even share backpacks. Yes, we do. Oh, so, okay. So. <laughs> for those just, of I don't know what this is. Okay, so I, you and I were teaching I teach mine together over here. Oh, You have yours over there? I do. I so I was carrying a, a leather bag one day and we were teaching together at the Panky Institute. Do you still have yours? Oh, you've you're, you've moved on to generation two, I think. What do you got there? Oh, I got I'm getting the new one this week, but I've had this thing for probably seven years ago or six years ago. You and I were teaching, and I was carrying this like um, this horrible bag that had, and you looked at me, you go, What do you think? Lululemon- I think it was a Lululemon bag. Uh, Okay, thanks. Yeah, it was was a little red one with handles. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, and I'm like, yeah, this, I beat him up every couple of months because we travel so much. And then I saw this on your back and I'm like, dude, what is that? And it's got all these little like uh, anchors and everything. And you go, that's. The kitchen sink. And I went, like, really? What is it? And it perfectly described my whole life. Actually, after that course, I went straight to the airport. We connected in Chicago. And there was the Oakley um, thing right there. There I went there. I bought one. And I've never looked back. And for so thank you, you, brother. That's been. Well, it's interesting
1: because I actually bought it because it had so many good compartments inside. It had the most cubic centimeters. I wanted to be able to pack an overnight bag inside. All the stuff on the outside was fluff and stuff. But it does make it look pretty badass, I'm going to tell you.
0: You do look badass. That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Speaking of badass, um, you
0: could talk about a million things in the different aspects of dentistry and just what you've done, what you've seen other dentists do, because you get to see great dentists all over the world. And one of the things that you and I- It's only because about- I
1: have all this, this gray hair. That allows you to talk about anything.
0: I have no idea what that's like. In- <laughs> <laughs> know. So I've been doing a comb over since I was 14. So, you know- Let's it, go it, it's Let's good. Sort of- you and Trump. You interrupt. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you will. You? <laughs> so, uh, we were talking beforehand. One of the things that uh, J- I don't, I think it was Jacob Needleman to asked this question, who's brilliant. He always asks people that are established some form of expertise in an industry, you know, what's the one thing you know sh- for sure? You've accumulated all these experiences, you've watched other people do them. And so, I'm going to throw that question right at you, and then we're going to go right into our hot topic that you and I love. but. Of all the things that you've seen, you've been doing this a long time, what's the one thing you know for sure when you look at this great profession of dentistry that you've seen?
1: I, I really like that question because w- when, you, when you say what's the one thing you know for sure, you're saying not just anecdotal, something where you've got some science, something where you've, where you've seen it in operation over and over again, Right. Whether it's the role of occlusion, whether it's something about periodontal disease. I mean, you could mention a, a number of clinical topics, but but the yeah. thing that I would say that I really know for sure, that I really feel comfortable about when I think about dentistry is right. something that's not clinical at all. Right. It's something that is over on the behavioral side. And for me, it's, it's pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward. And I see so many dentists struggling today, and you do too. I know you do. You see so many dentists struggling today with insurance reimbursement, with managing their team, with running an office. You know, we went to school for four years to learn how to fix stuff in a little four-inch circle, and we're really this is our happy place, and we're really good in there. The moment we step outside there, it's cluster. You know what? It's crazy stuff, and so we struggle out there. And so what happens is we see these outward pressures coming in on us. And we feel like that drives our direction and our thought process and our decision making. And we end up where we are in time and space because of all these outside forces. So the thing that I know for sure in dentistry, and, and this is not true of every profession, it's not true of every job, but it's really true of every dentist in every segment of dentistry that they can is we, like so many other professions are not, we are free to choose however we want to practice, wherever we want to practice, whenever we want to practice. We. This is still maybe the greatest profession ever invented. We get to do whatever it is we want to do, work on whom we want, build the team that we want, do the kind of dentistry we want, uh, accept the kind of reimbursement models that we want. And I don't care about the economy. I don't care about insurance reimbursement, uh, availability or not availability, a good employee basis. It might take a little longer in some locations, no doubt, no doubt. Mm-hmm. It might be harder out in the middle of you know, nowhere land to, to, to go non-par, to live in that kind of world. It might be harder to do comprehensive care, but I've seen practices still accomplish that if they're willing to work that path and, and chase that dream and make that their vision, it'll become their reality. We are free to choose however we want to do dentistry, whoever we want to be what for it, and, and you just can't do that in too many other things. It is right. incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. On January
0: 11th of this year, again, dentistry was ranked the number one profession in the United States by U.S. News and World Report. Now, they've consistently been in the top 10. And I can't say this enough, Mark, because you are spot on on this. You know, if you're a dentist watching this, you might think, well, I've just fallen into this trap. I have to kind of practice the way the selling dentists, you know, set this up. Sure. The coolest part about the United States of America is you could try anything. And if it doesn't work, you know what you can do? you can switch it back. You can try right. anything. And the other thing I just want to introduce this because uh, I'm just going to piggyback because I'm so passionate about what you said. There's such a low failure rate in dentistry. Very few dentists ever go bankrupt. There's a one half, one percent of lending notes that fail in the United States. So it's you hear low. all this stuff, but it's crazy low. So what, what does that mean though? Let's say I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm a 32 year old. Let's just say I'm a 32 year old dentist. I'm watching yeah. you. I'm going, Mark, you know, it's really easy for you to say, cause you've done a lot of great stuff. But, man, I'm loaded. I got, you know, I bought this practice. I, You know, I inherited this team. Um, I didn't even like the surroundings of, like, the aesthetics. You know, it's heavily insurance dependent. It's easy for you to say.
1: It is. So, what, Kurt, where would you start? Kurt, it's really easy for me to say. And the reason it's really easy for me to say is I'm from the Detroit metropolitan area. And so, my joke is, Frank Sinatra said in the time, if we can do it here, we can do it anywhere. Right. In the last decade, we were the only... State to lose population. The city of Detroit itself lost 25% of its population. We're as insurance ridden as anybody else. We had the deepest, darkest economic woes of anybody. And yet, dentistry survived. And guess what? Guess who survived the best? Dentists who were extremely insurance dependent? I think not. In fact, it was dentists who were more insurance independent. The less that you were feeding from the portion of the anatomy, feeding from the hind teeth that we might call insurance. Yeah. The more you were dependent on that, the more you were dependent on whatever happened in the economy. And the less dependent you were on that, the freer you were to practice what you wanted. Oh, don't don't mistake me. Oh eight, oh nine, tough years even for cosmetic dentists, tough years for insurance independent dentists. Um, in our practice, where where I used to be, and, and young man who bought my practice and I was doing great, he was flat in 08 and 09. But flat was like being up 5 or 6 or 7% in those years because the economy was tanky. So if you stayed flat in a non-par insurance world, in a metropolitan area like Detroit, You can do anything. So, someone will say, I can't do that. I have too much debt. I'd say, Oh, wait a minute. I think what you said was, You can't do that now. Right. That's correct. You probably can't do that now. So, when you say, I had this dream, I went to dental school, I had these visions of how I practice, and then I got saddled with $300,000 and $400,000 worth of debt. I got out, I bought this practice. As you said, I inherited the staff that isn't very motivated. They're not aligned. They can't see the future well. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, I can't get to my dream. And, And I would say, Stop. There's a common that sentence by the end of the year maybe yeah. by the end of next year but but guess what if you start that sentence with in 5 years my practice can be then it starts to become a believable path the, the challenge we have is we put these constraints on ourselves like I can't have that now and you're right you can't have that now it's going to take time how much time don't know yeah but if you need it now we're out if you say to yourself I'm willing to work at that over time now if you're 65 and close to retirement you're screwed yeah yeah but if yeah. you're 32 plenty of time
0: plenty of time you got three decades of practice in front of you why not now you know today is as young as you're ever going to be just start now now you actually have a step by step process you've been asked by a ton of people to present your state like every people are overwhelmingly asking you to talk about this model like step by step where would you start so walk us through a little bit of that today like and this will be something that you and I will collaborate later on, but we'll actually be able, you'll actually be able to see Dr. Murphy's step-by-step process. But walk us through a couple of those steps. Where would you start? Let's say I am that 32-year-old dentist and I'm watching this. Where would
1: I start? Well, I, the, the first thing I would say when we talk about where would I start, let's, pre, let's pretend for a second that we are asking the question in the opposite. way. Where wouldn't I start? Right. Where I wouldn't start is to say, I'm fed up with insurance. I don't like it anymore. I'm going to cut my ties. The umbilical cord is clipped and I'm off on my own. Mm -hmm. Without knowing what risk that carried, without knowing what financial barriers were in your way, without knowing how your team felt, because you can't get there by yourself, without knowing how your patients really felt about that, without knowing whether you really built a conversation with them, that they understood the value difference of seeing you versus seeing a a participating or a PPO dentist. If you don't do that, man, the risk is high. So the mistake that most of us have made is trying to leave insurance without the the right kind of preparation, the right kind of steps in place, the right kind of risk analysis so that we can plan and mitigate appropriately. We don't do that because um, we didn't go to business school. Mm -hmm. And so we don't think in terms of some of the skill sets that we need to make those kinds of decisions. We think, I'm mad as hell, oh, there's a movie, Um, uh, let me think, it was uh, uh, Patty Chadwick directed, it was a movie called Network. And the main character in the network got so fed up with the system and the bureaucracy and everything that he uh, ran to the window, threw open the sash, stuck his head out and said, I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Well, you know, dentistry has given up 22% of their average income over the last 11 years. That's the ADA statistics, 2% per year over 11 years. You can see those graphs. Now, if you took away 22% from somebody tomorrow, they would throw open the sash and scream, I'm mad as hell. But if you took two points a year, every year for 10 or 12 years, it's like putting a frog in warm water and bringing them up to a boil. They never jump out. Yeah, And that's what's been happening to us because reimbursements are going down, uh, debt's going up, the business model for dentistry is getting more and more challenged. And so what we're going to see is more people, and that's why you said we've had such a demand on it, more people saying, how do I get rid of insurance? How do I move in that direction? So the first thing I'd say is don't jump out of the pot and into the fire.
0: Yeah absolutely cuz it can be such an emotional decision and you get these calls you get people come up to you when you speak and they go I hate Delta or MetLife or whatever yep. and they yep. start and they start damning the insurance company what they it goes they go to the back of their brain then they can't think logically i mean this is really just a lot i mean you've got to become unemotional and start looking at it strategically logically
1: absolutely. You got to start looking at data. There are steps. There's a sequence. And there's a planning system you can utilize to do that. And it's very simple. Um, when, I, when we look at it, we look at it in kind of five steps. Okay. The, the first thing that's most important is you really have to, I call it, just do the math. It's really simple. You have to do the math. And, and the math is, what percentage of your patients have what kind of insurance, what kind of write-offs are you taking? You put that into a pretty simple algorithm. Anyone can really do this themselves. But it's, it's not easy, but you can do it yourself. if if half your patients um, were PPO and half your patients were fee-for-service and you were collecting your full fee, you might be making, say, 30% off your cash patients and 10% off your your PPO patients. So your blended uh, take, if you will, and that's the wrong way to look at a business. I understand that. We could go into a whole different discussion on that. Is your net in 20%? So you, you have to figure out is it Delta? Is it Blue Cross? Is it one of the Etnas? Is it a Cigna PPO? There's so many different things. And, and so you have to categorize each of those, look at how many patients, how many dollars, how much write off, do the analysis and figure out what's my risk of leaving that group of patients behind. How many of those patients would have to come with me in the new world where I wasn't going to participate with that discounted fee schedule for me to come out whole?
0: Right.
1: Now, in the, in the simpler example, it's never this simple, but in the simpler example I just described, <laughs> uh, return on my investment from half my population, 10% from the other. The blended result is I get to keep 20% of a million-dollar practice. I'm making a couple bills a year. Life's great. The risk-weighted analysis is pretty simple in that case. If I took a look at that 10% population and I went to full fee on them and didn't participate in that fee schedule reduction, two-thirds of them could leave. Right. Two-thirds of them could leave I'd be able to retain 30% on the diminished population. And what would my practice look like? Well, let me think. Same dollars in my pocket at the end of the year, same net. I'd see fewer patients. I would do fewer procedures. I would work fewer hours. Who doesn't like that so far? Right. But we don't do the math and realize that in that, again, oversimplified version, we would only need to keep one third of that population of patients. And I don't know too many dentists who have such a poor relationship with their patients that a third of them wouldn't stay. So the first thing is you have to understand the math. Now, if it's 90% you have to keep, the risk is, do it with me, higher. Mm -hmm. If it's 33%, it's lower. So we really have to understand the risk of a population of patients. And it's usually not one singularity. It's a blend of Delta and Blue Cross and Cigna this and PPO this. And we have to put that together and understand so that maybe you decide you're going to leave these couple of PPOs first. Then you're going to look at leaving these couple of PPOs. And if you haven't gotten hurt too bad there, then I'm going to go after Blue Cross and Delta. Yeah, there's a way of mitigating that risk and managing that risk. But first, you have to do the math.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you're so good at this. We're going to we're going to do another one on functional tracker. But like, let's take a look at some of the metrics. So when you say the math, throw a couple of the most important metrics that you would want to see. Let's say I brought a young dentist to you that we were coaching and say, hey, Uh Mark, what are some of the the math that you would want to see right up front? Because because I can go back to my computer and start looking and there's a ton to look at. So what would you want to see?
1: So I want to know your full production before you have any insurance write-offs or other kinds of write-offs. I want to know your full production and then your insurance write offs separated out from the total write-offs. Because I want to know how much are you really giving away to the insurance companies and then how much do you choose to give away personally or you you lose in uh, accounts receivable that you don't collect. We want to put those in different buckets. I want to see what the bucket is. So if you have a million dollar practice and you're writing off $200,000 to the insurance companies, you have a million dollars in production and say $750 in collection, and and, and, seven, and 700 of that is just from the insurance and another 50 is from other, then I start to get a picture of how much you're writing off for insurance. Right. Then I'd want to know how many patients have insurance that is being written off and then categorically which ones. And if, we, if we've got a good dentist who can really dive into their data, dive into their software, I'd like you to take a look at those major procedures that you do and figure out what's the average percentage write-off for your Delta patients, for your Blue Cross patients, for your Cigna this, for your Aetna that. Because you might have varying ones. And It might have the risk-weighted risk, which is very similar to risk rated The risk-weighted analysis might lead us to say, we should take a look at these couple of insurance relationships, PPOs, whatever they are, first, and other ones later, because these don't seem to be as bad. Yeah. And so we might do that. We might parse them out in groups. Now, that means it's going to take me longer, because you'll see that there's a six-month cycle to this kind of information flow. But I need to know how many patients, how many insurance. I also need to know what's your P&L look like, right. because your p l is going to tell me, overall, based on that production model again, and whatever the mix of insurances and collection is, how do you get to net out what you net out? And I don't want the P&L that says, here's what I want to pay taxes on. I could care less about that one. I want the p l that says, here's what I really make in total compensation. Right. That's a different number. That's how much do I pay myself. How much do I pay into my retirement plan? I've got my kids' cell phones, an extra car, whatever else is going on. And you're like, all good by me. I'm sure you've got that all figured out with your accountant. But what is your real total compensation on that practice revenue? Because right. that's what I'm going to use as the standard to say, this mix of insurances gets us to this number. Yeah. How does a different mix maybe get us there? How many patients do we need to keep? Yeah, now what you said
0: is hugely important because that PL that you're referring to, that is the essence. You know, Wall Street works on one report. It's called an earnings report. They don't care how much you produce, how many countries you're in. And most dentists, you've seen this, they're like, Well, I produce this much this year. I'm going to produce that much. Now you're going to create a further gap because you're going to be. If you're, if you're in the mindset of just growing your practice without doing what you just said, you're going to start looking at those write-offs and every dentist does the same thing. They go, Oh my goodness, look how much I wrote off. And then you start calculating, wow, I worked a third of last year like four months for free. And I didn't take any vacation. So you know you can put yourself into a real deep abyss oh, yeah. if you go
1: the other way, right? Yeah, in fact, Kirk, you know that there's a lot of people, This the the, the early part of the year in the spring, everybody's looking, uh, it's tax time and people are having tax discussions and people will talk about their tax freedom day. Yes. And they'll say that it's after this time, I've paid all my taxes for the year and I really get to keep the rest of the money. We should have a practice freedom day How far into the year do you have to work to pay those write-offs, which are like a tax, if you will, to get access to those pools of patients before you really start to get paid? And I think it would would jade everybody's thinking a little bit about how advantageous it is to blunt every one of those plans.
0: That is so true. So that's a first step. We really want to do the math.
1: So you said there's five steps. What's step number two? So step number two is it could be identifying a value proposition. It could be creating a value proposition for your practice um there there are likely some things that you do in your practice with your team, for your patients that are different, slash better, uh, innovative, more comfortable, more convenient, or something than someone else around you does.? Right. Um, if there isn't, we've got to go find some of those and add them to your mix of services. so that if you know, I, I teach down at the Panky Institute, you know, you've been down there, we've done stuff down there together. It's been a blast. Can't wait to do that again, by the way. it's fun. Oh, yeah. Um, but but down at Panky, you know we we teach a style of dentistry that's a little bit innovative, it's a little bit different and it's a little bit more comprehensive, and it usually requires a few more things than what we might say average, I hate that, average dentistry is doing. You know, we're gonna do more full arch impressions, we're going to make better provisional crowns, we're gonna do more dentistry on an articulator. And if I do that kind of stuff, if I have it on the shelf, and I really can identify what that is with my team so that they're on board with this discussion, not just me telling them, but them saying, oh yeah, here's what we do. Our hours are better, the dentistry we do is better, our provisionals are better, They've got a long list of stuff that they're very proud that we do better than the average dentist. Right. I want to take that all, put it in a big brainstorming kind of session where we do that with the team and we come up with a list of value proposition items. We do a couple of business things called a KJ analysis or an RWW. It's called a real win worth analysis. And we look through that list and you're familiar with those. You look through that list and you kind of line them up to say, well, which ones carry the most value? Which ones are the easiest to talk about? Which ones have the best real value to us? to explain to patients that they're in a different place. Yeah. Uh, and we wanna do that, why? Because down the road, we're gonna have a conversation with that patient about why they might wanna stay in this practice right. instead of going to another practice when it costs them a little bit more money to stay here. Yep. And if they don't really understand that value proposition, then um, they're more likely to leave. So I wanna mitigate the risk by first, my second step, identifying the value propositions that we can incorporate into patient conversations on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful how you say that because a lot of people don't understand what value proposition is, but you nailed it because people have to come. Here's, Here's what it all comes down to, what you just said. People have to come to you because of you. Right. There's got to be a reason. Now you as a dentist, you watching this and go, Oh yeah, well we do a lot of things, but everybody, like you said, everybody's got to have their arms around this. And the, the fact is, it's not what comes out of their mouth. It's what comes out of their eyes that this is a crazy special place. And we're going to yeah. show you why, and you're going to love it. And you're going to stay here no Absolutely. matter what winds blow in dentistry. And, uh, I think what of your Deepak, Matt have, who's just, he just commented on the Facebook feed. He says, it's been a firm commitment for us to stay off all insurance. And well, 17 years later, we're still here and growing and do high quality industry. And you see that all the time. People make this commitment and they do it and they stay off of insurance and they don't freak out. They don't get mad. Do you see a lot of that? Not a lot.
1: Not enough. Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. Uh Because it's scary. I I was just lecturing in Seattle, Washington. You and I were talking about that. And a dentist said to me, you know, I just recently graduated. I bought this practice. I've got this insurance, this insurance, this insurance. And how can you say, -da 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 da, 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 da. And I said, well, what I hear from you, I said, can I play with you a little bit? And he seemed like a nice young man. I went up and talked to him uh, afterwards and and made sure he was comfortable. I said, can I play with you a little bit in this room? You know, there's a couple hundred people. He said, sure. I said, you're scared, aren't you? He said, I am. I said, it's scary as hell to think about what would happen. I said, but what if I did the math for you? And I don't know what the answer is. I said, well, what if I did the math for you? And you found out that if two thirds of your insurance patients left, you'd still be okay?" He said, well, I I said, would you be less scared? He said, I would. So, see, we have this, you said it earlier, irrational fear, this irrational feeling. We don't sit down and do the math. We don't sit down and think through the strategies and tactics. We don't, That's why, Kurt. that's why people hire you. That's why people come to act. They need kind of a business acumen wrapped around them to help protect them and guide them to make better decisions. The clinical dentistry they got, you don't teach that. You'll no. send them to Panky, Spear, Dawson, Coy Salvia, somewhere. You don't want to teach that, but you're going to teach them this, this business kind of like cocoon you can put around them to help them make better business and interpersonal and communication decisions so they can be more successful. Because that's not just about the dentistry. Right. In right. fact, I remember, I remember back when, uh, when I moved my office one time, you're talking about making sure we're, we're happy with the right thing. I moved my office. And um, when, we, when we opened a new location, we had a sign out coming soon and everything like that. It was, in, it was like a whole mile and a half from where I was before. It wasn't a big deal. But suddenly we had this huge bump in new patients huge bump in new patients. And I mean, we normally saw, say, six to eight new patients a month. That was a lot. Uh, But, you know, we do a lot of comprehensive care, comprehensive exams. So I didn't want more than that. That was perfect. Something we got 15, 18 in a new month, I didn't know what to do. At least half those patients were there for the wrong reasons. You're talking about the value proposition. They were there for the wrong reasons. They were there because we were close by, convenient. They drove by it every day. They worked next door in the plant. So they came in and they had an expectation for a dental experience that was far different than what we gave them. They wanted the uh, kind of commoditized dental delivery experience that you might get from some of the corporate vendors or, or less prodigious practice, where they would come in, get their teeth cleaned. I'd come in on roller skates, check for cavities, tell them that we would do something that was covered by insurance. We'd all high five and everyone would live happily ever after. Yeah. Instead, I'd sit there and, and outline an hour and a half or a two hour exam. And and we talk about records, and we talk about study miles, and, and patients would just, are sometimes like this. And I'd realize this patient wasn't referred in by one of our quality patients. This person came in and said on their, you know, how did you find our office? I work next door. I've been driving by and saw that you were going to open and thought it'd be great to have a dental practice down the street. So if we have patients that are there for the wrong reason, it's challenging to elevate the value proposition in their mind. But if we have patients of record, that have come to know love and trust us and understand who and what we are just like you said then that the identification or the ownership of that value proposition is strong now yeah. step three takes us to sharing that with the patients it doesn't matter if i've got this stuff i've got it on the shelf maybe i make exquisite provisionals and i polish them up in such a way that they don't the gum doesn't stick to them and i leave proximal contacts i let tissue heal for three or four weeks before we take an impression i mount cases in our articulator and show that to patients i polish composites and put anatomy in them and and explain. But if I don't explain to the patient that I said, take a look at this restoration, they go, oh, man, it looks just like a tooth. I can't even see it. Well, honestly, I'd say humble brag. And I'd say, you know, if you didn't, if you come in to see me, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I'd have probably done one like you have on this tooth over here. But what we have found is if we spend a few more minutes polishing and reshaping these like this, two really cool things happen. Number one, they last longer. Number two, those little nooks and crannies I put in there so it looks like a tooth, Uh They help the tooth chew like a tooth. They're supposed to be in there, those little nooks and crannies. And if I leave it like this one over here, it doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. That's a value proposition conversation I just had with the patient to help them understand why my filling is maybe just a little bit better than the average or someone else's filling. So when I ask them to pay a little bit more, they're more likely. Guaranteed? Nope. More likely. Why not guaranteed? People are still people. They're just more likely. I want to just keep more of those patients. I want to move the needle a little bit in my favor for retention of that body of patients. And so it's not just having the value proposition and identifying it, but then I got to share it. How long do you do that? Yes, totally. Totally. If you've been really sharing that for some time, then that process can be quick. Yeah. Uh, We worked with a dentist down in Scottsdale, Arizona, who had really had incredible office, uh, spear practice, faculty practice, fabulous office, great dentistry. Clearly, that value proposition had been communicated to all her patients for some time. She didn't need to re-share that value proposition. We identified it with the team. She was ready to cut the ties with the number of insurance patients she has. It was a fairly easy transition. She had already done that step. They'd already identified and were already discussing the differences that that practice had. And It was fantastic because it made our job very easy to walk them through you know, moving away from that relationship. But if you haven't done that in your practice at all, it might take you it might take you six months to go to Panky or mm-hmm. Dawson or Spear or Coist or somewhere like that and get some skills that you want to have to brag about. Right. And then it might take you another six or 12 or 18 months to share that with enough patients that you feel like you're ready to bolt. Yeah. That's that third part is how long does that take? Well, the analysis is quick, right? If you can identify the value proposition that you have, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Have you been sharing it or not? Well, oh, that could take some time.
0: Yeah, it can take some great time. I heard Pete Dawson say this years ago. He said, to become an overnight success, it really takes about five to seven years. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally. really hard work. And then one day you wake up and you go, wow, this is getting easier. You know, it's getting easier. But so you can't expect it the immediate gratification. I just want to piggyback on something because go what you're it. saying is is hugely important because you want to share this with the patients. So it's not just technical. I mean, it's all the behavioral pieces and you're brilliant with the behavioral pieces, but it's your team up, up at the front. I heard a team member say, this is one of my favorite things. While she gives the tour to a new patient prospective patient. She says, Mrs. Patient, I'm going to show you a lot of things today. And this is an incredible practice, but I, ch- I could work anywhere. I choose to work here because Dr. Murphy is incredible. And you're doing you're doing what's called value prop or value interpretation way up front so that by the time and I'm sure everybody that's listening to this would agree. Look, if they come through the door, they're pretty much going to stay. And so you're talking about getting everybody on the same page, but you're not going to go to one course. Learn how to do d- dentistry and then just tell patients, and they're gonna go, that's awesome. Right. Like, that's not
1: okay. how it works, right? No, well stated. And, and it's not, in your value proposition might not be doing better dentistry. Your value right. proposition might be you have a more, a more hom- harmonious team, you care more about people, you give back to your community. They could all be behavioral things. It's unlikely. There's probably gonna be a mix of, of, of some clinical things and a mix of some behavioral things, some right. environmental things, and that's your mix of who and what you are as a value proposition. Well said. And then, like, Communicating it to them is what's critical. I love that statement that you said. I could work anywhere. I choose to work here. Let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. Man. And then if you go back and you deliver those kinds of goods and services to the patient, then that's a confirmation of what they heard from that from that team member, or a confirmation of what they heard from the referrer. It's a confirmation, and that's even stronger. They said, Yeah, I've heard that about your practice. I've heard that. My friend said, I should come see you, that she loves going to the dentist. Now, I'm like, nobody loves going to the dentist. Yeah. How can they say that? And you've heard that. And, and I walked in, and I said, yeah, this does feel like a different place. It had nothing to do with the clinical dentistry. Yeah. And yet that might be the environment where somebody somebody knows to care enough or to display their caring enough, to listen well enough, non-judgmentally, in a, in a unconditionally loved, um, free kind of environment that's safe, that some people say, I couldn't imagine going anywhere else. And that might have nothing to do with the dentistry. Totally right. or spot on. You're right. spot on.
0: Yeah, well, you're spot on. T- I mean, and this isn't anything new because you and I, everywhere we go, we run into this. And let me tell you why this is so important, what Dr. Murphy's talking about, because we won't get into the names of these particular insurances, but you see them. The premier programs are going away and now people are going to be on the PPOs. People actually, young dentists are buying premier practices and they're yeah. realizing they're not premier providers. they have to go on the PPO and then they start doing the math, like you said, and they're like, oh, my goodness, I just overpaid for this thing that's a moving target and then you can see a young dentist and that's when the veins start to come (laughs) out of their neck at a seminar
1: and and the the hair goes white.
0: because this is and this isn't going to change now you've been doing this long enough too so you've been in this just a little bit longer than I have but 25 years ago they had seminars saying it's only going to be cash and PPO and or or no cash and HMO and PPO will be going just just," like they've been predicting the end of dentistry and you know all this stuff forever My point in saying that what you're talking about is so critical, it's not going to get any easier. So, if you're a dentist, it's not going to go, you're not going to wake up and go, Oh, that's awesome. Like all the insurance companies got together and they just figured out they've been screwing dentists for a long time and they're going to really start upping their game. Do you know what I mean? That's not going to happen,
1: right? It's so tough. And the mix of insurance distributions has changed dramatically. When you look at those graphs where we started to give away the two points a year, that started back in 2005. Right. Well, that was before the recession. So, we were on a decline while the Uh, The income per GDP per population was still going up. Every time the income per GDP is still going up. Oh, it takes a little flattening hit, or even a tiny decline when it hits a recession, but it comes right back up and rebounds. Mm -hmm. Ours didn't rebound, and it started to decline before 2008, 2009. So you said, what was doing that? Well, that's about the time that PPOs crossed the 50 percent barrier in terms of what percentage of insurances were made up of PPOs. You are so right when you when you said that about Premier. Nine states, as of this recording, nine states. Premier has gone away. Some of them in a very different way than just reducing the benefits. Some of them are, well, if you graduated after this date, you're correct. You can't have PPO. You can't have Premier anymore. We'll call it Premier, but we'll pay you as a PPO. Or in Arizona, if you agree to take no other insurances, we'll still pay you as a Premier. How could you take no other insurances? So if you take any other insurances, we'll pay you as a PPO. And that happened a couple of years ago. So different states are falling in different ways. Massachusetts was the last. We'll see more, but it doesn't matter because. Delta, for example, and we shouldn't mention any names, but I'm going to use them. Mm. Delta, for example, they can't sell Premier. It's too expensive. So when an employer, and that's really the culprit here, what Mm. benefits does your employer want to buy on your behalf? When the employer says, I have to pay this huge fee for medical insurance, and then everybody's clamoring for dental insurance too. Well, let me go out and find the cheapest thing I could buy that, that looks like dental insurance, that fulfills that need for my population of patients and customers and clients but I don't want to spend as much money on it. Well, medicine is about 6% of the gross domestic product. If if 6% of our budget in this country is medical insurance, we're about 5% of the 6%. So we're a pimple on an elephant's butt. So we're a very important part, very unimportant part. So that's why they give us $1,200 and then they stop Mm -hmm. where most medical insurance is The deductible is two or three or four thousand dollars. See, there's no catastrophic loss that a third party is insuring against. It's not insurance at all. It's really a nice reimbursement, coupon, discount plan, whatever you want to call it. But it's a travesty that patients don't understand that. Oh, wait a minute. It's a travesty that no one has told them that. Wait a minute. It's a travesty (laughs) that we haven't communicated that to patients. Because when people like me, I'm so embarrassed. I got to tell you one of the worst things I've ever done. I graduated in 1981. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lot of General Motors and, and Ford and Chrysler patients out here and OEMs, great insurance, 90%, twelve or $1,500 worth of coverage per year. Back then, my crown fee was $300. So the worst thing I've ever done for dentistry is those patients come in and I'd say, you need this crown, this crown, this crown, this crown, and this crown. And they'd say, does my insurance cover it? And I'd go, hell yes. Knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. And some doctors would waive that 10% copay. We didn't do that, but some did. But when when dollars or $1,500 allowed you to do four or five crowns, we taught those patients to become insurance dependent. We Mm -hmm. taught them to think like it was an entitlement and like it was a third party evaluating the necessity of this treatment plan. Fast forward to today, and it's for me, 35 years later, and they pay the same amount. We forgot to kind of adjust that puppy for inflation. We made a lot of mistakes Mm -hmm. and uh, it still covers 12 and 1500 bucks. And now that covers one crown and two cleanings a year and not too well. Yeah. So we've created this own world for ourselves. That's actually good news. If if you're sitting in my skin, I say that's great news. If we've created this, we could create something else. Right. that means we've got to spend some time, effort, and energy unlearning for people about this entitlement program and what insurance is, what it isn't. Now the trouble is the ADA is not going to do that for us. Your your local or state dental society is going to do that for us. There's no manufacturers going to put on a multi-million dollar ad campaign. We have to do that mano y mano, womano y womano. One person to one person conversations face to face. And that's how we're going to win.
0: Yeah. And you taught me this, and this is so important um, as well as our teachers taught. you know, moving away from insurance, it's not mechanical, it's behavioral. Explain that. Like, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. Moving away from insurance is not mechanical. You can do the math, but it's behavioral. You have to, you and your team, not you, you and your team, in fact, your team, then you, if you can help it, have mm-hmm. to own the value proposition that you're going to share with the patient. If you think that's a good idea and you sit in your you know, upper echelon and look down on your team and tell them what they're going to do, they will nod, they will smile. And for two or three days of the first week, an hour and a half or two of the second week, but they will wear you down and they will win. They will win the day. Yep. It's about engaging your team with good leadership skills, about painting a picture, leadership, painting a picture of a preferred future that they might want to enjoy just along with you. It's about sharing that pie when it grows. Because if we end up with fewer patients, but we end up making more money, doing more of the dentistry that fulfills us and helping more of our patients have healthy mouths, we should all win. It isn't for me to make more money. We should all win. Patients should win. uh, My team should win. And I should win. Um, When when I went non-par in 1991, it took me forever to get there. I, when I when I consult with people now and I talk to them about doing this, it, it took me forever to get there. Why? Well, because I knew I wanted to go there right away. I was scared, but I knew I wanted to go there. But my team wasn't ready, right. and I was more concerned with sending the value proposition message to my patients than I was with my team. Right. The mistake I made was not putting my team first, then my patient population. So it probably took me two and a half or three years to get there. And the last person, I love this story. You you know you've heard me talk about this before my mother-in-law was my office manager. My wife was a hygienist in the practice. So I worked with my wife and my mother-in-law for about 23 years and they had an effect on me that I can't even describe. Absolutely. But my mother-in-law was the last person to really come on board with really wanting to get rid of dental insurance. And I knew while I was talking to patients about it, and I wasn't spending the time leading my team there, I knew something was missing, but I I didn't know yet what it was. I can tell you that now because I've made that mistake. But once she came to me and said, it's time, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Well, then it was a sprint for us. I mean, it was we wrote a letter. That's that's the next step. We wrote a letter to our patients, step four. We told them, this is what's going to happen in six months. And we wrote it out nicely. And it's, you know, in, it's become impossible for us with the continued discounts provided by your insurance carrier to provide the level of skill care and judgment that your pac- our patients have come to expect from us and blah, blah, blah. And lots of stuff. And we've got three or four different versions of stuff that we can write depending on what your situation is. But that letter comes out and it says, in six months, this is going to happen. Now, let me Mm -hmm. tell you right now, don't get excited. Mm -hmm. Nobody reads it. Nobody understands it. And they're concerned about something different than you are. You're concerned they'll leave. And you're not going to believe this. They're concerned. Will you still fill out my insurance forms? Mm Can I still be your patient? Will you still be able to see me if you're not participating with this thing? Now, there's some who are strictly looking at the money. People probably with you, you didn't have a really good relationship. You didn't sell the value proposition. Right. But for the most part, these people are concerned with, can I still come? And will you still fill out the paperwork? Because that's what really bugs them. So what we did is for six months, we have a conversation with each and every one of those patients we wrote a letter to. They come in for their hygiene visits, and we'd identify them in the huddle. I'm going to say huddle again, just in case you're not having one. We'd identify yeah. them in the huddle, and Kirk can teach you all the 101 reasons why you should have a huddle every day. It's a communication portal to de-stress your day and and bring joy and happiness to your life. In the huddle, you say, these three patients today, or these five, or these two, and you go in and you have a conversation. You say, hey, Kirk, how's it going? Yeah, great small talk, small talk. By the way, did you get that letter we sent you? And Kirk says, what letter? Or, I did. What does it mean? And now you have that one-on-one conversation, and you seal the deal with retention of that patient with a one-on-one conversation, maybe politely reminding them of some of the reasons why They'd want to stay in this practice. So it's really doing the analysis, doing the math, making sure you have a value proposition that you and your team really all understand. Then you've got to share that value proposition. Then you've got to write a letter that says in six months, we're going to do this and communicate with each and every one of those people for six months. And then, yep, pull the plug. Yeah. Yep. Now I want to go
0: back to this too, because now what you're talking about is a letter. Now, as you can see, the letter is step number four, because a lot of practices would start with le- letters, ste- number one. step number one, and then they call us and we'd get those calls and I still get them. Like I get these calls and the phone rings and I'm and, the, and it'll be some dentist going, I hate Delta. And I'm like, oh no, what did you just do? And sure enough, they've already sent the letter. Now, let me just share with you what happens when you read a letter. If this is what If I open it, if, I open it, Correct. I don't read it. I skim it. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, he doesn't like me or my insurance anymore. I mean, so you gotta be crazy careful. And you have known this. How many times has your wife ever said to you, you know, I got a text from her. What do you think that means? Like, I don't know what she means by that. Like, what do you, you could, cause you could read the text three different ways. Like, is she mad? I mean, is that a compliment? I don't, you know, because the written word is very dangerous because it's linear. You can't see people's eyes. You can't see their face. You can't see how much they care. There's no inflection. So I, I backfill the story with my own story when I get your letter and I'm thinking, "Eh, or she doesn't like me. So don't do the letter. Now, one more thing. When you, um, when your mother-in-law said, I can't take this, I'm sure she's the sweetest person ever.
1: For sure.
0: And mine is too, you know what I mean? But the thing that we've learned, and I'm sure you've seen this, when you're growing your practice, if you're watching this right now, the hardest part about your practice is not so much introducing new thinking, it's getting the old thinking out sometimes. Absolutely right. So so how hard was that? Like when you said you hit
1: a sprint, was it just like, okay, let's do it? Yeah, I I wish I could say I had a great conscious plan for bringing her along to the right kind of thinking. I didn't. Back in 1991, um, I didn't understand much about strategy, tactics, uh, coordinating that with my vision and my dream of how I wanted to practice. I just knew that insurance was in my way and I wanted to get rid of it. And so I conjured up this idea that we had already been pretty good about the value proposition. So, again, I didn't have a strategy that said this is step one, two, three, four and five for me back then. I did not have that. I have looked backwards and seen that that's kind of what I did. And then I can package that. We've done it with several practices and have been very successful. So I can tell you that it works well. But with her, she just always saw me frustrated. Now, she cares about me differently than she might care about another boss, right? I mean, it was great to have your mother-in-law at the front desk. So many reasons. You know, everybody's got a, an embezzlement story, for God's sakes. If I had one of those, I wouldn't care because eventually I would have got half the money back. So it would have been <laughs> fine, you know. And I like <laughs> my sister in law anyhow, so it's cool. That's but, cool. When, when you think about you know, your mother-in-law at the front desk, she cares about me in a little different way than she would have cared about a normal boss. She could see my frustration with doing this panky-style dentistry. Just think of fee-for-service, relationship-based, comprehensive care that I've learned down at the Institute. She could see my frustration when patients would say no or when we write off some insurance benefits. And when we write off the insurance, we would track that. And I would make sure I talked to that to the team about that periodically. When when it's twenty thousand dollars a year, it's one thing. When it's fifty thousand dollars a year, it's another thing. When it's a hundred or two hundred, we've seen I've seen seven hundred thousand dollar write-offs in a single doctor practice. So when you when you see that change occurring, it starts to become a bigger burden on you. When you see the headaches and hassles she had, I would point those out to her occasionally. And again, I wish I'd said I had a plan for doing this, I'd say, my mother-in-law's name was Janet C. Jan, you know, if we weren't participating, that wouldn't be your problem. That's your problem today because we're, she'd go, I know, I know. But she was scared that we'd leave. Now, she didn't have the experience of having left abruptly insurance and losing too many patients. In fact, we only lost a handful of patients and some of them came back. But I'm working with a couple of practices now who left abruptly, had a disastrous effect, mm-hmm. and then went back to participating with insurance and are now leaving in a more organized, coordinated, strategic fashion. But even there, in one of the practices, there's a couple of team members who are around back when they did it the first time. Mm -hmm. And man, you ought to listen to those stories. You know, last time we did this, I go, well, last time you did this, we didn't do it this way. Well, let's see, last time we jumped off the cliff, this time walking down the trail alongside the cliff. Yeah. The difference there. And that's what you have to have as a discussion. You have to bring them back home because it is so behavioral.
0: Yeah. Now go, there's a couple other things that you said. I wrote a couple, I wrote a bunch down. Um, but when you do it, you know, cause sometimes you do jump off the cliff and you're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to die. And I'm like, you are going to die. Let's, let's change this direction. So you want to make sure you're careful about this. Now you use the word non-par, um, because your generation and my generation, which is close to the same generation. Some people don't know what that is and you don't hear that word as frequently anymore in non-par. Now you don't have to like, when I mean non-par, it doesn't mean cold Turkey. Like you no, can you can actually slow your participation, like you're talking so, about. So, go so let that. me
1: define. Uh, so let's think about a couple of different categories. I have a full fee that I'd like to get. Yes. Full fee over here that I'd like to get, and then over here I have a fee that I can't get the full fee because either there's a UCR usual, customary, and reasonable um, delineation by an insurance carrier that I've participated with, or there's a PPO discount on top of that. Over here on the full fee side, you may have insurance. Mm-hmm. I may bill your insurance and I, may, I might have a $1,400 fee. And the insurance company might say, "Um, we'll, We only approve $1,100. I'd say, Well, tell me how that works. Well, uh, we're going to pay 50%. We'll pay $550. And then the patient can pay the rest. And I go, Wait a minute, what's the rest? And they go, Well, your fee was $1,400. We'll pay $550. Okay. And then the patient can pay $850. And if the patient pays $850, Then I'm back to my full $1,400 fee. I don't care that they have insurance. To me, that's the same as a cash patient. Mm -hmm. That's fee for service. I'm non-participating, non-par with any fee reduction in that patient population. That's what I mean by non-par. I should say full fee patients. Patients, I get the full fee on much better term. Thank you for pointing that out. Over here, I go, wait a minute. It's Delta. It's Blue Cross. It's any one of the other carriers who might say, if you want the check to come to you, doctor, then you're going to have to agree to our fee schedule. I say, well, how is it? Well, it's about 10% or 15% off of your normal fees. Um, for the benefit of having the check come to me, maybe I'll elect to make that decision. Or maybe the declining reimbursements are starting to bother me, and I'm going to elect to leave that decision. That's what we're talking about. And then PPOs are over here a little bit further, but there's another 10 or 15 or 20% off. But there's In the PPO world or the UCR fee reduction world, there's an insurance dependency, and they determine the maximum fee. Full fare fee. All of these together, some discounting to my full fee that Mm -hmm. I have to accept. And here's the worst part. I can't, I can't build a balance to the patient. It just disappears. It becomes an accounting thing. And I can't build a full fee amount on the extra crowns I do or the extra procedures with most of those insurance companies. Most of them will have you sign an agreement that says, if this is your UCR, your usual customer and reasonable, or your PPO fee with us, that's the same fee you have to charge for anything you do for that patient even if they've exceeded their insurance benefit for the year and want to have comprehensive care done. man, That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. That's why you have seen some of these in-house discounts for fees and you've seen some of them work because that discount extends ad infinitum rather than some maximum amount.
0: Yeah. That definition you gave was brilliant. Might have been one of the best definitions of what that all means. Like very well done. Now on that topic too, Talk about this because there are experts out there in the space of dentistry. Now this isn't as easy as it used to be, but things are negotiable. So let's say you do participate. You don't just get a fee and that's it and everybody else gets the same fee. Can you go into that and how that's changed? Because you can actually, things are negotiable. Are they they not? So,
1: and the challenge is most dentists think that the only lever they have to pull on is cost out. So when they see these fee reductions and they realize they're not making as much money, um, they they look for a cheaper lab. They they don't give their team as many raises. They take away some benefits. They try to cut costs. They right. use their gloves and rinse them out three times. They turn the spit sucker around twice. You know all the kind of stuff you can do to save a buck. I'm just joking. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really seen them. gloves <laughs> or spit sucker. But they when they run out of that, what do they do? Well, we've had a practice that when they left two of their worst PPOs, one of them came back and renegotiated fees. So, what is true is with PPO fees, you can reach out. And if you're a loan carrier or a rare care, pardon me, a park provider, a loan provider or a rare provider in a geographic area, they want you there because they, as an insurance carrier, want to be able to say, we have a provider in that geography. Mm-hmm. Then you're in a more negotiable position, you're in a better place to say, hey, I don't think these fees are fair. I'm either going to leave or you've got to raise your fees to something that I can live with. And the discussion usually centers around what their cost basis is. Because if a dentist is making 30%, but the fees getting knocked down 40%, they're actually paying to do the crown, paying to do the filling. I had a dentist once tell me, I know I don't make as much on those crowns. And I said, no, no, it's not that you don't make as much. You actually reach into your pocket and help pay the lab bill for that patient when they walk wow. out the door. If you didn't see that patient, you'd make more money because you you keep thirty percent, and they're taking away forty percent of your fee. Mm-hmm. Not seeing that patient, you'd make more money, but I wouldn't be as busy. That's correct. Your revenue wouldn't be as high. That's correct, but you'd have more money in your pocket. Which do you want? You want to brag about your million dollar practice, or do you want to have more cash in your jeans? You tell me. Yeah. But that is negotiable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing too is. Uh, Everything has to change when you start practicing in a more that type of environment. You need more people at the front. Uh, you yeah. have more of a hygiene-driven practice. You know, just it, the whole nature of it changes. And that's not good, bad, or indifferent. You just gotta ask yourself, which, where do, how do I wanna practice, which is what you said originally. Uh, and that's what this whole theme is all so, about.
1: So let me make a point that's important because okay. somebody who might've been listening to this might've been turned off by my discussion already.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let me be very clear. I'm talking about if somebody's vision, if somebody's dream, if somebody's inspiration is to practice this way, then here's some things they need to consider with this insurance relationship. But it's okay if if somebody's dream is to say, listen, I want to just see as many people as I can. Um, I want to help as many people as I can, do as many procedures as I can. I'm okay if I don't make as much money. I'm okay if, if the fee knockdowns are huge. I'm okay if I make less than what the average dentist makes and I see more people and work more hours. I just want to help humanity more. I mean, honestly, i think you're a little nuts, but I'll give you a high five because if that's your intentional dream and vision of how you want to practice dentistry and what you want to do, but, but I don't think that's true most of the time. I think most of the time, right. most dentists are wishing that they could do more comprehensive care, and the insurance wasn't getting in the way between them and the patient. So when I'm talking, there's nothing wrong with participating with every PPO that comes along, comma, if that's part of your dream. If that's your intention, I'll think you're weird, but I will mm-hmm. support it. But if it's not your intention and you're not happy, I'm going to come all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, Kurt. Yeah. yeah. You are free to choose a different model for how you want to practice dentistry. It yeah. might not be tomorrow, or next week, next month, next year. It might take some time to get there. But truly, if you start the sentence with, in five years, my practice will be, then I start to believe it. You can have hope. You can practice any way you want. And, and that you've seen, you've seen far more than I have, practices that have transformed. And followed a model like this and been very successful, both spiritually, emotionally, behaviorally and financially. Money follows. It's really about helping patients have healthier
0: mouths.
1: Right. Us to do more of the dentistry that fires us up. And then, oh, by the way, if we get paid for that, we make a little bigger buck. That's about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the key word is. You use the word choose like I can't use that word enough and you raise some great kids. I'm sure you said this to your kids. You're the product of your choices. So make sure you choose. Well, you know, you're going to a party. Choose. Well, kids that don't choose and same thing. Dentists alike, too. They don't see this as a choice. It's been given to them. You know, this is your road and it is absolutely a choice. And you can you can choose an incredible future. Now I want to say one more thing too on that because it's the whole non-par conversation. We've seen dentists that are just heavily involved. <laughs> And what happens is they just slow down their participation. If they slow down their participation, where they, you know, the cool part about slowing down your participation is you don't have to take every patient that calls. You can say, Hey, look, we're only going to take this many this month. Then right. next month, we're going to slow it down 10%. Then we're going to slow it down. Grow the 10%
1: full percent. fee side of your practice. Yes. And minimize the partial fee side of your practice. Talk
0: totally. about that. Talk about, cause totally. that's an easy, like, that's so easy
1: to do. Can you do that? Like, how would you do that? Yeah. So if you, if you had great, on demand, on you and your practice and your services, you had good growth. You could then start to segregate which kind of growth you wanted to take. Now it's tough to do if I don't have a full schedule. It's tough to do if I'm just trying to make enough money to pay my bills. I just want a warm body in the chair and I almost don't care what I get paid. Then we could talk about incremental income, empty chair time, filling that, how much valuable, more valuable that is than another income. Sure, that's a different discussion. You're busy, you're full. We've seen this with practice. They're busy, they're full, they're jamming. They have too many new patients great problem to have and we see this then great let's start to segregate like you said our filtering mechanisms at the front door so that we get more of the right kind of patients in by asking for those referrals actively and starting to decline on the number of entitlement minded patients that we want to receive where we have to take a fee knockdown so you could definitely segregate and then your your movement from involvement entitlement participation to non-par full service full fee However gradual, however, it's just going to be based on that mix of patients. And that's going to be easier for a practice that's 70 75 80% full fee patients today moving to, bo- to more freedom than it would be that's one that's 75% insurance-driven today. That's a longer path. But yeah. it's still the same transition, in this case, without having to write a letter, without having to have this kind of conversation. You just slowly wean those participating patients out. And, yeah. and I'll see practices that say, you don't understand, Mark. In my area, everybody has this kind of insurance. There's all this kind of, nobody's willing to pay that. And I'll say, really, nobody's willing to pay that. They go, yeah. I go, let me just ask you something. Do you live within 25 miles of where you can buy a really nice car, like a Cadillac, a Lexus, a Beamer, or something like that? They go, yeah. Mm -hmm. Are those dealerships closing? They go, no. No. I go, well, then I don't believe you. I believe the demographics of your geography dictate that there's enough discretionary income for people to make those kinds of decisions. Oh, by the way, they might not be your patients today, but there's enough of them in your geography that if you, in five years, morph that patient population like you're talking about to more of those discretionary dollar spenders, you could be in nirvana instead of insurance dependency land. Right. That's just a choice you either make consciously or non-consciously when you say, I can't. Right. No, what you really meant was, I don't understand and I won't. Right. Great, let me help you understand, so maybe you'll decide you want to. That's a different yeah. discussion.
0: Yeah. It's a whole different discussion. So now take us, take us into, um, you know, after you've written the letter, what's
1: step number five. So I I don't think we got to step number five. Step number five is having that communication with each and every patient over the next six months. Okay. So when you write that letter, the letter is, is really just a mark in time more than anything else, drawing the line in the sand. You can almost do it without the letter and and you were sort of quasi suggesting that I'd have no problem with that. If you said, I don't want to write the letter. I just want to have those conversations. I'd go, that's what you should do. We wrote a letter. We've coached most of our clients who, who do something like this to write a letter. But then we also coach them to identify those people in the huddle every morning and for the next six months have the one-on-one conversation about the letter, about going on par about what that means. You said that the letter would just get scanned. Totally agree. Hardly anybody read it. Hardly anybody had any questions. We got a small handful of calls the first week and then nothing, just crickets. In the middle of the letter, we were conscious enough to put... In bold print, larger font, what this means to you is in three or four bullets that said, you will have to pay more to continue to see us. We will still do all of the paperwork and billing for you, but you can still come to this office and receive the level of skill care and judgment that you've come to expect from us. So there's words, words, words. There's fancy language, non-par participating level of skill. But in the middle, what this means to you is you're going to pay more. We'll do all the paperwork still, and you'll still get the same great dentistry that you've come to expect. I was hoping they'd at least read that because you're right. They're just going to scan that puppy. But that fifth step is have that one-on-one conversation.
0: Yeah. And this is a huge opportunity. Don't, you know, I think the biggest thing is if you're young and you're watching this, this is not like a bet. It's, it's not the end. This is an opportunity for you to truly differentiate because I'm guessing if you're the 32 year old avatar dentist, we were talking about, you got three decades left, possibly four, because this generation of dentists that's coming up, they're going to live longer. They're going to live longer. One in three babies that's born today is actually going to live to 100. So it is very, um, very uh, appropriate that some dentists that are watching is going to practice for four more decades. What a great opportunity! To really step up and say, look, this is going to be different. You know, people are going to go. Now, the other subplot that you're creating here that we haven't talked about. I hate it when you keep looking. I hate it when you
1: keep looking down at your notes. Like, I got another question. I'll-
0: Dude, I got three pages and I'm writing down every single word you're saying. So the communication in the subplot, because this is such good stuff, is that you're going to start creating a patient base of people that are coming to you under a certain premise. So as you start to get better on this whole, I am here for you, your insurance is great, but we're here for you type of thing, you're gonna start getting referrals from people who go, I already know the deal, you don't take my insurance. Totally. And you totally. saw that after 91, you had people coming totally. in at 92, 93 going, hey, look, I know you don't take it, I hear you're awesome, I gotta pay cash, how's this work, right?
1: Well, totally right, those were easy. Those are the easy discussions they have. That patient shows up and says, I've heard so many great things about your practice, they don't say this, but they're thinking, prove it. Yeah. And we did. What's hard is the patient who calls, heard great things about your office, but isn't sure that they're willing to pay that difference. Mm-hmm. And so when they would call and say, hey, listen, I was calling, I heard about your office from Kurt Barrett, great guy, uh, said a lot of good things about you. But he also said that, you know, you're a little different kind of office and you don't take the insurances and stuff. So I just wondered, do you take mine? And we'd say, well, actually, we don't really, part- we'd be very careful. We don't really participate with the fee schedule that your insurance is tendered for us. Yeah. Um, in fact, what we have found is our patients have come to expect a certain level of skill care and judgment that we just can't do for those discounted fees. And so what it means is you'll probably have to pay a little bit more come to see us. Mm-hmm. For most people, that was good. For most yeah. people, that was good. There would still be some people, though, who'd hesitate again. Yeah. So you know, first off, some people just came in. Then the next group had a conversation, a question. We kind of assured them that we'll still fill out the paperwork. We'll do all that work for you. There'll be a little higher fee for you. but give us a try. And they would be okay with that and come in. Then there's the third group who'd hesitate again. And we'd say, listen, let's do this. Those are magic words. I've heard you say that a hundred times. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Those are Kirk's magic words. It implies we've agreed to something and it implies we're moving to a better behavior together. Let's do this. Why don't you go ahead and come in, see Dr. Murphy for this incredible new patient exam. It's going to be the most complete and thorough examination you've ever had done. If it's not everything that you thought it would be, we will just take whatever your insurance would have covered. And if it is, then we'll let you pay our full fee. Is that Mm -hmm. fair? Now we've taken away the risk. And I'd lie to you and say, no one ever called us out on that. Mm -hmm. But that would be a lie. But I can tell you it was rare. And what they were telling us is they just weren't going to value the kind of relationship that we wanted to have with patients, and that's okay, I understand that. There's gonna be some people for whom this kind of dentistry isn't right, I understand that. I'm yeah. probably not the right dentist for them. There's plenty of other dentists. We have about 70, 75 dentists in Rochester. I know there's one that'll be right for them, but it's probably not me. Yeah. And so that was okay. Now, if that happened 50% of the time and I was spending two hours in a new patient exam, I would get killed financially. Right. I was getting killed on those new patient visits anyhow. I can't charge enough for those to make them work. Yep. But it happened rarely. Why? Because patients were referred in, as you said, from other good patients who understood the proposition, the business model, and the deal right and then when they hesitated we had an explanation and if they hesitated further take away the risk yeah. you were referred in by this patient and i i know love and trust that patient i want you to come to our practice i want to make it easy for you to come take away the risk and let me prove to you listen are you afraid of paying for what it's going to cost you to morton's yeah no problem come yeah. in if this meal isn't everything you thought it would be pay us like you were at mcdonald's and we'll yeah. call it. that's fair you are so good. You, no, I'm okay, going to play devil's
0: advocate. I'm just going to play the 32-year-old Desjavadji. You go, Mark, you're so <laughs> good. You're so good at this. Like, I would believe anything that you say because I just I look in your eyes. You're an excellent good. Send community. me money. Send me cash. <laughs> send me well, small bills. Well, it, I'm just going to play little devil's advocate. Go for and it. I, I want to say, you know, you're such a good communicator. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to that because – what you're doing, Mark, is you're becoming a better communicator. This is a lifetime of work. You never get it in one shot. You get better and you get more confident. The more times you've gone to this conversation and the more times you can confidently look at a patient, what we're talking about here is all these five steps. When you get really good at them, the entire office confidently communicates to a patient. And you could call it influence, you can call it whatever it is, but patients look in your eyes and ultimately it comes down to one word. It's called trust. They trust right. you when they look in your eyes and they go, I love this guy and I trust him. Do you know what I mean? It's not about how many dollars or how many no, teeth, but I trust totally right.
1: you. And, and Kirk, I've heard you say this so many times. I, I've been at your launches. I've seen you work with teams. Um, the first time I have this conversation, I am going, first off, I'm going to rehearse it several times with my team. Right. I'm going to practice it. And then when I the first time I have this conversation, I may walk away, I may grade myself, and I might get a C minus or a D, and I may fumble. And that feels bad, so I probably don't want to ever have the conversation again, because I don't like to feel bad. That's our, our reptilian instincts, our protective instinctual reflexes. But if I go out there and have the second conversation, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, here's what I can promise anyone listening to this podcast, it will get better. Your conversation will get better. And if you're actually so horrible at this that they never get better, have someone else on your team do it. That's yeah. okay too. But for all of us, it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. And yeah. Oh, silver tongue, gray haired guy. It just rolls off his mouth. Like it's anything. Sure. I, cause I've made all those mistakes. I've said it the wrong way 15 times and, and, and send people, write me letters and say, you must be lucky to practice in snob Chester, Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, not being the one to take our insurance and stuff. I've gotten those letters. Cause I screwed up. Oh my gosh. God. Uh, I remember sitting down with a couple after they didn't come back after a new patient visit and they were gracious enough to come back in and have a conversation with me and say, well, we felt like we felt like you were selling us something. Man, I learned from those experiences. Oh yeah, Mr. Smooth Tongue here. I've had some bad conversations too. That's how we learn. Guess what? If you make mistakes and you correct them, you learn. You make mistakes over and over again. That's not experience. Right. If you never make those mistakes and you do something right the first time accidentally, you ought to go break it anyhow just so you can figure out how to fix it. You have to repeat these things. You have to do them over and over again and they'll get better for you and for your team. That uh, absolute great point. Thank you. That's absolutely true.
0: Buddy, you're a genius. So what last pieces of advice? Any last words you'd say on this whole subject, you know, if if I'm you struggling.
1: Thank you. Do? I'm fortunate to to live in a world um and live at a time where we do have these freedoms of choices and and, and that's that's Americana. That's North Americana um, that's dentistry for sure. I I don't know where I would be without, um, some of the people that have nudged me in the right direction and thinking the right way. And I was fortunate enough, you know, four years into my career to get onto this place in in Key Biscayne, Florida, down to Panky. Mm -hmm. And they started me on a path and a lot of great people. And I've spent time with people like you and your team. Um, if you're open to the people around you you and you're willing to suspend the biases and the noise and the judgments that we have about things and the paradigms we live in, if you're just willing to suspend those and hear some of these other concepts and ideas without putting your dupes up to fight and defend what you previously thought and, and you said it well, it's getting rid of the old ideas that's so hard, not accepting the new ones. But if you can suspend that for a while, you'll be open to hearing new things and you might find a way to um, chase that dream that I said you're free to choose. Yeah, Not tomorrow, over time.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant, buddy, because exactly. you and I, you and I have spent a lot of time in those condos, and sometimes at the panky, those are some of the best. Now I didn't have a choice. I was told to go. So I didn't, you know, I <laughs> I, I remember going to the panky, I go, that's a dumb name. Like what what? And then I got there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy was a genius. He was one of the most brilliant people ever yeah. in dentistry.
1: And I was like, and, this and is and a you've successful. learned and you learned from some of the best, because you spent time with Dawson, you've spent time with Spear, Koyce, Panky. Right uh, Michael Cohen in the Seattle study club. I mean, just think right. of all the different people you've had to learn from. And, but what you were always done, you've always been open to looking at their point of view and maybe inculcating some of that into how you wanted to have your worldview shaped. Why? Cause it would make you a better, more rounded person. And you'd see possibilities that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. So OU, that's what I would say.
0: Well, yeah. And then, you know, the, the Dawson top 10 course, I didn't even know why I was going to that too, but to your point, you know, and I think that's and Mark, you're making a huge point here that about the future is that, in a, in a in an industry that's so important to both you and I, it is the greatest profession ever. It's yes. become so divisive. And I think it's incredibly important now more than ever. Not that you and I are like the most important leaders, but like no, people that I have don't. a say to bring people together, even if they don't see eye to eye. Because sometimes you could throw the baby out with the bathwater when somebody does have something valuable to say to, to make this whole profession better or your day just a little bit better, you know.
1: So appreciate that. For sure. Brothers,
0: you are the best. How can people find Dr. Mark Murphy? And you have to find, you got to see this guy speak. If you have not seen him speak,
1: uh, you I know what you're about to say. You're about to say I'm the second best speaker in dentistry. Thank you for that. No, 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 no,
0: no. This is true. I did hear about this before I went to see you. Somebody said you were widely, you, you didn't like the word widely, but regarded like you were like the Robin Williams of dentistry. And I went and I, I fell over the first time I heard you. It was great. I don't know. When I, when, I
1: see you, when I see you talk about the insurance truth, I think you've got a pretty strong thread of that yourself. Hey, I learned from the best. <laughs> How can people Easy. find you? The yeah, easiest way to get a hold of me is probably email. And that would be okay. Mark Murphy, M-A-R-K-M-U-R-P-H-Y, at FunctionalTracker.com. Functional is with a K because it's funky called Medina. And you Fun- and I are going to have a
0: another call on that whole thing because you've developed something brilliant, which is watching metrics based on behaviors, which
1: yeah, is key watch behavioral out. results, key behavioral indicators, not just performances, key behaviors, leading, not lagging indicators. You get
0: it totally. Dude, okay. you're the best. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. So again, no, if you watch it, having- appreciate it. Absolutely. If you you have questions because this is such a hot topic or you want to ask Dr. Murphy, he's going to be watching the thread long after this video. Please ask him that question. He'll respond. He's a pretty good responder. Um, Pretty good. No, I think you're an excellent responder. I think you're on top of it. It's good stuff. So, and uh, until we see you next time, keep watching Best Practices Show. You guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much.